Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown. Today I'll be talking to the author of Shaping the Immigration Debate, Contending Civil Societies on the U.S.-Mexican Border. This really interesting book uh, is just very recently published by First Forum Press, which is the division of Lynn Reiner Publishers. I hope that you enjoy this interview. Harry, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Heath? I'm doing great. Um, I know a little bit about yourself, but I, about you, but not, in fact, all that much. So before we get talking about your really interesting book, maybe you can just talk a little bit about uh, uh, what your background is. Um, it looks like maybe you wrote this when, uh, as your doctoral dissertation, but where this fits into you as a scholar. Sure. I'd be glad to. Well, um, my educational background is quite varied, actually. Um, I did my undergraduate work at Augustana College in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and my majors at that time were, or when I graduated, were secondary education, English, and modern foreign languages, um, primary of which was Norwegian, um, with a bit of Spanish in there as well. Um, I went on to start teaching Spanish and fell in love with the language, uh, fell in love with the culture and the issues surrounding uh, the Hispanic culture and um, did a master's degree at the Universidad Complutense de Madrid in Spain. And then um, after teaching for a few years at the college level, um, went on to pursue my PhD at the University of Colorado Boulder. Um, and I pursued that degree in communication because I, I wanted to sort of bridge those interests of Latin American culture and um, current events, politics, all the things that were affecting um, the people and, and the language and this rich um, heritage that I had fallen in love with and be able to better tell those stories. So that's how I ended up um, with a PhD in communication, journalism, mass communication. And um, this book really came about as a result of, of my doctoral work, which was focused on immigration in southern Arizona and how those stories were being told um, through media to a national public. So it combined all of those interests um, together in, in one sort of perfect um, package, if you call it that. Yeah, and, and I really enjoyed uh, reading the book. I've had the chance to talk to a couple people recently about their books about immigration. I think this fits really nicely into a growing uh, academic and scholarly conversation about the subject. Um, your, your title of your book describes the broad focus on the U.S.-Mexican border, but you focused on a particular segment of that border. I wonder if you could describe that segment, uh, where it is, and, and what it looks like, because you, you've been there. Sure, I'd be glad to. I focus specifically on the Arizona-Sonora border, um, primarily because at the time that I began my research, um, between 2004-2005, that was the area that was starting to gain national attention um, for a variety of reasons. Chris Simcox and the Minutemen Civil Defense Corps had begun to um, gather in southern Arizona <laughs> shortly um, thereafter. Around that time, they were organizing and, um, and making a concerted effort to bring national media um, personalities to the border to show them what was happening, um, partially because, well, primarily because of um, U.S. policy the Arizona-Sonora section of the border became ground zero for the immigration debate um, around that time. In the mid-1990s, shortly after NAFTA ratified, uh, the, the sections of the border that had been the most um, frequently crossed areas prior to, to that time, San Diego, Tijuana, and El Paso, Juarez, um, they were 
clamp down on if you want to, to say it that way. Um, my operation uh, gatekeeper, operation streamline, operation hold the line, and other policies that were designed to really close off those border areas. There were a lot of um, a lot more border patrol officers hired to patrol those areas. There were walls constructed in, in many of those areas. So what happened was um, it was a balloon effect. The, the ends of both ends of the balloon were squeezed where the traditional crossing had taken place. And thus, instead of deterring people from coming across the border, as the policies were originally intended to do, it instead inflated the midsection of the border, which was the Arizona-Sonora section. And that is where the, the migrants began to come. So prior to the mid-1990s, um, Arizona had seen almost no border traffic at all in terms of people coming without documentation. Um, by the mid-2000s, 2005 um, and such, it had become ground zero. It had become the most heavily crossed area of the U.S.-Mexico border, um, particularly for people without documentation. So that's why I chose that um, session of the border to focus upon. Part of the, the start of the book, you talked about your, your methods, uh, your methods as a social scientist being um, participant observation. You did, you did a lot of things in the book. But, but one of the things that you did is participant observation. And for such a, a controversial subject matter, this must have been uh, fraught with a good deal of, of tension. So what did you do exactly to collect these stories? How much time did you spend in this area? Were you, were you traveling um, at all with these three groups that, that we'll talk about in, in detail in a little bit? What, what was the actual, what did you do during your doctoral dissertation to collect all of these interesting stories? Right. This was really the most incredible part of the journey for me because it was the part um, that allowed me to be on the line, literally, with the people who are most active on the line um, on a day-to-day basis. So what what I was fortunate enough to be able to do um, was to literally go with three of the most active civil society groups along the Arizona-Sonora border and uh, participate with them in their day-to-day activities to see what life looked like on the line from their perspective. Um, and I'll talk about those three groups in just a moment. I also was able to follow along, um, do some ride-alongs and hikes and, um, and interviews with Border Patrol who work in that area. So the three groups plus the Border Patrol um, gave me perspective as to what the border looks like from varying points of view. The three groups that I um, studied, chose to study, were Humane Borders, No More Deaths, and the Minutemen Civil Defense Force. And those three were chosen because all three had made national and indeed international headlines in recent years um, because of their controversial um, approach to how they were dealing with this immigration issue, the problems that were ensuing um, when so many people started coming across the border without documentation in that area. So the participant observation aspect was the the most amazing part of the, the research for me I did interviews and surveys and that type of thing as well, but being on the line with the Humane Borders volunteers, you know, traveling way, way out into the depths of the desert on roads that I didn't think led anywhere um, in order to refill water barrels um, that were set out for migrants who who might happen upon them and hopefully it would be a um, life-saving proposition for those who could find clean water. Uh, That was an amazing experience. Sitting on line watches alongside of Chris Simcox of the Minuteman Civil Defense Corps was an amazing experience, and hearing the stories from those volunteers and better understanding how they view what is happening along the border um, 
gave me real insight. And in watching migrant trails with no more deaf volunteers who were calling out to migrants in Spanish saying, we are friends, can we help you? We have food and water. Um, they're, they're out there trying to save lives in a place that has become a, a battlefield of sorts um, and a, a place of great desperation and great loss of life. So seeing that up close gave me an incredible perspective on what is happening. And then my research really examines how are those stories told through national media and international media so that people who live in the state of Washington or the state of Vermont or South Dakota or Wisconsin or wherever it may be far from the border, how do they understand immigration and understand what is happening along the border um, through those mediated stories? So my examination of, of their understanding was, was the additional um, part of my research. Yeah, and so these, these three groups, the, excuse me, the humane borders, no more, no more deaths, and Minutemen Civil Defense Corps are, are different. Um, what, what's the, what's in, sort of in essence, what is the mission of each one of these three groups? They're all very interested in the same place, um, but, but the way in which they go about it is very different. So they're very different in terms of strategy and tactics. Mm -hmm but also in terms of mission and purpose. So exactly. what would be the, the mission of each one of these three groups, and how does that mission play out in their three very different strategies? That's a great question. I'll start by saying what they all have in common, and all three groups were absolutely in agreement that the border is broken, that absolutely um, policy changes need to be made, and reform is, is not only mandatory, but needs to happen now. So they're all very much in, on the same side of um, the arguments in that respect. But as you said, they go about it from very different angles and have very different ideologies in the way they, they see what is happening. Humane Borders um, was founded by um, Pastor Reverend Robin Hooper and, um, and a group of other pastors and community people in Tucson to literally save lives in the desert, to provide life-saving water in areas where um, migrants had begun dying. And the purpose of this group um, became apparent when Hoover and others started to see more and more headlines about bodies being found in the desert south of Tucson. This, as I mentioned earlier, had never been an issue before. Um, that, that just hadn't been a problem because um, people hadn't been crossing through that area. So as they began to hear of more and more deaths, um, they began to look at a map and figure out where those deaths were taking place. Um, this desert is a, a vast, extreme very beautiful desert, but it is incredibly harsh in terms of survival. And if you aren't close to a, a clean source of water or any source of water, uh, you have a very limited amount of time before your body succumbs to dehydration. Um, so the, the goal of Humane Borders is literally to put barrels of water, clean water, in the desert um, to save lives. And they use recycled um, syrup barrels, like from Coca-Cola or other, um, uh, syrup, other soda products. And they clean them out and fill them with um, clean water and put a flag that extends way up in the sky so that it's visible from the distance. And they have volunteers that go out um, multiple times a week to refill those water stations to make sure that they are available in case any migrants would stumble upon them. The group No More Deaths has a very similar approach in that they are trying to save lives of those who are crossing to the desert. Um, they literally, their volunteers will not will walk migrant trails and um, carry food and water and medical supplies with them, um, searching for migrants who are in distress. 
They also set up a tent um, near Arevaca with medical help and supplies and professionals who are able to assist. Um, and they tend to do more um, advocacy work. All three of the groups are, are very strong advocates for their positions, but No More Desk has done a lot of advocacy work to make people aware of the problems associated with this whole phenomenon of um, border crossing, particularly in this area, and what's broken with our immigration system. Um, the group is probably best known for an incident in, I believe it was 2005, when two young volunteers had picked up um, two migrants by the side of the road who were severely dehydrated and very ill. After making some phone calls to a doctor and a lawyer, um, it was determined that the best course of action would be to take them to the nearest hospital. And in route, they were pulled over by Border Patrol and charged with um, furthering the entrance of, of a person without legal status. So that court case made national news and um, drug out for quite a long time. Um, signs popped up all over southern Arizona um, that said humanitarian aid is never a crime. And that became the mantra, really, of, of that group, that it is never illegal to help another human being um, to save a life. So, so their efforts are also promoted, um, are promoting the, the saving of lives and um, trying to make people aware of what's happening um, with the, the, what's broken in our policy. Um, the Minutemen Civil Defense Corps was founded by Chris Simcox, who became um, very well known because he was a, a wonderful media publicist in terms of the activities of his group. He brought together interested people, citizen volunteers from across the United States, and invited them to come to Southern Arizona to be the nation's largest citizen watch group. And literally, um, his volunteers set up um, shares, um, holding shares, and, uh, <laughs> what am I trying to say? Um, their, their equipment with trucks and binoculars and, and night vision scopes, and they set up on a, a stretch of the border, you know, just north of the border, a few miles, watching literally for people crossing the border. And when they would see people cross, then they would call Border Patrol and radio in the location so that Border Patrol could come in and make the arrest. Um, the group gained a lot of attention for especially the first border muster, which um, Tim Cox was, was again, a, a brilliant media strategist. There were actually more media present at that border muster than there were volunteers, but it gained national attention because these people were coming with sidearms to the border to defend the border, um, to stand up for national security, and to make people aware that the borders are more porous than, um, than most people imagine. So three groups um, who all see the border broken, who all see problems inherent in our current system, but who are approaching it from very different standpoints. Two of them from a more humanitarian standpoint and, and one from a more security-based standpoint. So they, they have different um, things they do. Are there, are there solutions different? N neither, none of these groups thinks what they're doing is going to solve the problem. They're all trying to raise awareness mm -hmm. and, and increase um, uh, public knowledge of the, of the nature of the problem. Mm -hmm. But, but how, how much in agreement are they in terms of how to solve the actual border problem? Is there, how, how varied are the, the, uh, the different proposals that, that may be coming out or might be supported from these three different types of groups? Two of them that, that share uh, maybe a belief system and the, and the other that maybe disagrees in some, uh, some way. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, you know, I would say I can't speak to all of their proposed solutions because, um, you know, those are constantly evolving and changing. But I would say that, in general, 
Dominicans, civil defense corps volunteers, approach this issue from the perspective that border security comes first. And what I found in my research is um, there was a real disparity. And actually, there's a researcher, Olivia um, Marujo Ruiz, I might have mixed up the name, Ruiz Marujo, excuse me, um, came up with um, the paradigm of immigrants as risk versus immigrants at risk. And groups such as the Minutemen Civil Defense Corps see immigrants as risk. They are the threat or the perceived threat. And so to those groups, it is... Um, the primary purpose is to stop immigrants from coming across the border without authorization, period. National security is um, first and foremost in their minds. Um, some of them did express concern and sympathy um, in our interviews for, for the people who are coming from poor countries where they are having difficulty feeding families or you know, where the economic disparities are so great. They understood their need to come north. And Chris Simcox even told me, quote, that if he were in the same shoes that, that many of these people were, he would do exactly the same thing. So the understanding is there of the reasoning for coming across, but to most of those volunteers, um, that takes a backseat to the, to the issue of national security and the fact that we need to close off the borders. Their solutions deal more with um, the construction of walls. Um, most of the volunteers I spoke with from the Minutemen Civil Defense Corps were very much in support of the building of walls and barriers, um, physical barriers to prevent crossing um, in those areas. The more humanitarian-based groups, on the other hand, as well as the Border Patrol, I would say, generally um, agree that walls and physical barriers are not Now, the degree to which they are helpful varies. Um, the Border Patrol would say that walls may help to slow down the crossing in certain areas, and barriers can be helpful in their job, but ultimately, it is impossible to build a wall that will keep people from crossing, because even in the areas where walls have been built, there have been tunnels dug underneath, there have been ropes and ladders and every kind of makeshift contraption that you can imagine, um, hoisting people over the top, there have been um, in areas where there's uh, barbed wire, they use blow torches, and, and in fact, one Border Patrol officer showed me an, an area on Hamburger Hill, um, <laughs> a certain section of the border, where he said, Almost every night, there's a gentleman on the Mexican side of the border who comes with his blowtorch, and he'll cut a hole in the wall, and his officers are running to, you know, take care of that, and um, they see how many people they can get through in the meantime. So, so there, it's a cat and mouse game in terms of a wall being the only um, solution. And and these other groups will say, you know, we need changes in our policy ultimately that will that the humanitarian groups will say changes that allow a more dignified humanitarian way for people to come into the United States and take the jobs that are being offered because once they get here, uh, most of them find jobs. It isn't that they come and then, you know, search for jobs and go home. The jobs are here and being offered. So um, if it weren't that, they, they wouldn't be coming. So they said create a, a dignified above-the-table way for these people to have visas. Um, the visa system currently is so backlogged. It's a 10 to 16-year wait. Um, there's no way that someone who's trying to feed a family can wait 10 years to feed his children. So, of course, out of desperation, they will try to come. So let's do it in a way that um, does not uh, make them risk their lives by crossing through a treacherous desert um, and doing so illegally. And then being vulnerable at the hands of human smugglers and of employers and anyone else who wants to take advantage of them along the way. So those solutions deal more with the humanitarian aspect and say we need to change policy to make a more dignified and humane system. 
Before we finish up, your background is in is in communication. Yes. And much of this story has to do with how this this relatively small part of the country catapulted itself onto the national stage, and it did so through some major national media coverage, and particularly the the role that Lou Dobbs played during this time period. I wonder if briefly you could uh, talk a little bit about how Lou Dobbs and others took this issue and and did something with it, changed it, um, uh, accelerated it, augmented it. What what happened? What was the role that that, uh, Lou Dobbs and others played in this issue? Uh, really, there were a number of leading conservative um, media personalities who catapulted this issue to a national stage by adopting it and making it their their pet issue. Um, Lou Dobbs was one who constantly brought this issue up on his program and um, it often gave important information, you know, accurate information about the border, but also provided misleading information about the border, including... Um, just one example is, is the accusation that there were um, communicable diseases being brought across the border, including leprosy, and that the incidences of leprosy had increased um, by so many thousands of cases in the last um, seven years. And uh, the, the details are in the book, and, and um, I won't go into detail about the whole discussion, but in the end, his argument was, was not true. The number of cases of leprosy that he had had said had been brought into the country in recent years had actually been the number that were brought in over the past 30 years, and it was not linked or attributed at all to the southern border um, or to migrants or persons without authorization. So those types of fear tactics that were used, um, the images of hordes of people crossing the border, you know, these masses of people just walking across the border and sneaking into our country, um, were, were very misleading. Media tend to be sensationalist in what they um, often portray in, in a situation like this in a very controversial issue. Not always, but, but that tendency is there. And I think some of those um, media outlets latched on to either the most extreme cases um, that were not day-to-day reality, or they latched on to a, a fear-based factor that um, led audiences to believe that there was much to fear um, about the border that people can decide for themselves what they, how they feel about the border, but presenting it in the way that it was presented by some of those personalities really misled the public into thinking the border was something different than it was. So at least that's the argument that would be made um, by, by the groups that are trying to emphasize that there is a humane side to this issue as well. So I would say that the, the overemphasis on border security and national security um, warning people that Al-Qaeda will be coming through the border if they haven't already come through the border, um, those types of arguments that were made by Lou Dobbs and others were, were harmful to the discussion in general because it created a backlash of fear rather than a discussion in a civil discourse about, okay, what, what is the nature of the current policies um, that has caused the system to become so broken and how can we approach that reasonably and rationally um, working together on all sides of this issue to come up with um, with solutions that will not only uphold the dignity of our fellow human being, but also create better security within our borders. Because certainly the border security issue is important. It's, it's not something to be discarded. It is um, a very big part of the discussion that needs to take place. Um, but that 
that type of media um, representation of the border created a black and white disparity. You're either with us or you're against us. You're either for border security or you're against it. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, I don't know of anyone who doesn't want better border security. We, we all want to feel secure in our homes and in our country. However, um, we also have to understand that there are a myriad of other issues that are inherent in this discussion, and building a wall to create better border security isn't going to fix, um, fix the issue or fix the, the problems that are surrounding immigration right now. So, unfortunately, I think some of those media representations did a disservice to the um, communication and the civil discourse about immigration. And we're starting to see more partnership and more um, at least talking, working together. You know, now in Congress, this is a, a perfect example. The group of eight is made up of um, four Democrats and four Republicans who are sitting down at the table together and trying to hash out the major issues that you know, need to be talked about in regards to reform. But, um, but I don't think media have done a lot to encourage that type of, of discussion at least certain media outlets. Yeah, you know, and in the context of this, this ongoing debate about comprehensive immigration reform, uh, your book, Shaping the Immigration Debate, Contending Civil, uh, Contending Civil Societies on the U.S.-Mexican Border, is really a, is a great read. Carrie, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Heath. I appreciate it.